This is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the sixth chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. King Herod heard of the disciples preaching, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said it is Elijah, and others said it is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, What should I ask for? She replied, The head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oath and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Choosing your theme for your birthday is pretty serious business, at least it is in the Wagner household. It's an ongoing debate, sometimes a debate we have three years in advance, right? You want to make sure you pick just the right theme. In fact, it was our topic of conversation at dinner just last night. What I've realized is that the sort of themes are getting much, much more complex as time has gone on. What started as a simple thing, trains, evolved into dinosaur trains, then Thomas the Tank Engine, then Union Pacific, and now it's like steam engines that ran in the 1880s. Can I have that as my train theme, please, Mom? And as it turns out, as it turns out, Party City just doesn't carry those sorts of things, right? So it leaves us sort of scratching our heads, but hey, to each their own, it's their day, we're going to figure this thing out. The one thing I have figured out is that as far as making that decision as to what your party theme should be is I would just do the exact opposite of whatever Herod did today for his birthday party because as it turns out, it sounds like one of the worst birthday parties imagined. Today, this pretty complex reading from Mark lays out before us the story of Herod's birthday party, a story that ends with John the baptizer's head served up on a platter. And again, this story really stands out. In the Gospel of Mark, which is always so quick-moving and fast-paced, this is the longest recounting of this particular story out of any of the Gospels. 
And there's a lot of memorable pieces, right? There's, there's grudges, there's family drama, there's incest, there's deceit, and it comes to a head, literally, with a head on a platter. And setting aside, though, all of the haunting details of this gospel, I think it points to a very, very simple truth. That truth, that reality of what happens when political powers clash with prophetic voices. That, you see, is really what stands at the foundation of this all. This entire narrative, you see, essentially serves as a flashback. A flashback particularly for Herod. Herod, who among everyone else, is trying to figure out who this Jesus guy is. Some are saying it's a prophet. Some are saying the prophet Elijah. And others are saying it's John the Baptist. The same John the Baptist who has been haunting Herod ever since, and I quote, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Right? He feels like he knows exactly who this Jesus guy is. It must be that John guy who I beheaded. And see, here's the weird thing. This isn't much of a whodunit, as it turns out. There's no mystery involved here. We know from the get-go, Herod is responsible. Herod signed the arrest warrant as well as the death warrant. But what's odd is that relationship between John and Herod isn't, as it turns out, all that bad. I mean, if you really read the gospel closely, you will see these two have a pretty good, at least admiring, relationship with one another. Now, Herod didn't necessarily like John's advice when it comes to his relationship with his sister-in-law, but we're told that Herod indeed viewed John as righteous and holy. He respected John for who he was as a person of faith. When it comes time to arrest John, we're told that Herod does it in order to protect John from Herodias, who is plotting against him. Indeed, we're told that while he was arrested, Herod even liked to listen to what John had to say. Until, of course, it was more socially, politically, and economic prudent to do otherwise. And this then takes us to the beheading. Herod, we're told, when the request is made, is deeply grieved. He's deeply grieved because he knows it's his choice ultimately to make. He recognizes that it's in his hands whether or not this innocent man, John, will live or will die. He gets it. And yet, he chooses the unjust thing. He chooses to serve up the head of this innocent man on a platter. And I just want to pull my hair out. Why? He had a good relationship. He knew what was coming. He knew he had a choice. He's in power. Couldn't he have chosen otherwise? Well, Mark clarifies the decision-making process, and as it turns out, it's pretty simple. He chooses what he chooses out of regards for his oath and for his guests. Now, don't let that fool you, right? It doesn't mean that Herod is suddenly a very noble person for holding up his oath, or the number one party plan, right? Not at all the case. Instead, Herod realizes a very simple truth. His guests at this party have social, political, and economic pull in this world, and so he's going to follow them. His decision isn't going to be what he knows is right. It's going to be what he thinks he needs to keep his power, even if that grieves him on a personal level, because he recognizes 
recognizes that John doesn't wield power at all in those realms. This, you see, this is that struggle between political power and prophetic voices. This is that reality. As it turns out, you can silence the prophet, but you can't silence the prophecy. Throughout time, God has sent more and more prophets. The word continues to propagate even if the prophets die or disappear. Because you see, prophets at their foundation are truth-tellers. And we can ignore the truth. We can pretend it doesn't exist. But the truth will always find a way to come to light. The truth will eventually be known. Even if it's not popular, and even if it's not politically prudent, the truth will come out. And see this reality boiling over all around us in recent months and years. The truth, for example, that black lives matter. Now, I'm not saying that, saying that other lives don't, but what I'm saying is that in recent history, you know, the past few centuries in our country, black lives in particular haven't mattered as much, haven't been valued quite as highly. And we see this playing out even recently. Restrictive voting laws targeted at African-American communities. Even the pandemic itself has raised some alarms as to the disparities in health care and access in our country. The African-American community, as opposed to the white community, are three times as likely to be hospitalized by COVID and twice as likely to die as a result of contracting COVID. Those numbers simply don't lie. And the truth is, one guilty verdict does not change or erase the history of social, economic, and political disparities in our country. It simply doesn't. And justice for one individual doesn't restore that individual's life or mean that we've accomplished everything. It's but a drop in a bucket of a much larger need for justice and change. It's also the harsh truth of, let's say, the, the wage gap, the gender wage gap in our country. According to the American Association of University Women, at the current pace that we are pacing on, we won't have closed the gender gap in pay until the year 2093. I may not be alive to see that, right? I'll be 106. I'm hoping I get to see it in my life. But I'm not too encouraged, right? But it gets even worse. That's for all women. But let's take the subsect of, let's say, African-American women. The projection is 2356. We're looking at just that community. The year will be 2356 by the time black women in our country are paid the same as white men in our country for the same work. That is an unbelievable truth. And it should make us uncomfortable. Just like the discomfort of the truth of climate change around us. We don't have to look far to see the the continued pickup of pace of climate changing and the effects around us. We're seeing these temperatures in Minneapolis over a hundred for weeks on end. We're seeing forest fires projected to run rampant throughout our coastlines. Last year, we ran out of letters to name our hurricanes. We had so many hurricanes, we didn't have enough letters in the alphabet to name them. 
That, my friends, is an alarming truth. But sometimes even those alarming truths, even the scientific truth isn't enough. Because we have politicians. Take, for example, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson, who has said over and over that climate change is nothing more than BS fear mouth. Why? Because his constituents want to hear that. Because it's politically advantageous for his position to name that truth, even if that truth isn't true. In other words, we see this clashing of prophetic truth and political power and prestige all around us. And the truth of the matter is, justice moves forward at a glacial pace, but here's the problem, our glaciers are melting in the meantime. Which means we may never quite get there anyway. That, you see, is a truth. And the bigger truth is we need those in power to make the choice for change, to push for change, to seek justice, to seek ways to end world hunger or to end this pandemic rather than to seek ways to be the first one to rocket off into space. That, you see, that is the world in which we live. But it's not all bad news because the truth of the matter is God's good news can never be silenced forever. God's truth can never be silenced permanently because God has already sent to us the Son who's revealed that truth, who is the way and the truth and the life. The Son who ensures that we know God's grace and God's mercy in our lives already. And in the meantime, God continues to send us prophets, prophets who speak words of truth, prophets who spread good news even even if that good news makes us uncomfortable, even if that good news can even be viewed as dangerous to those in power. So this day, I am thankful for all the prophets who share that difficult but necessary truth with the world in desperate need of reality check. Thanks be to God. Amen.